I would like to just give you some idea of what we heard and what we did. Last Lord's Day morning, the adult class was uh, held by Pastor Jeff Smith from Trinity Baptist Church on the immutability, the unchangeableness of God. Uh, he says in Matthew 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you're not consumed. And in other words, if, if I wasn't merciful uh, in all my being and I just wiped people out for sin, you, you would be gone. Uh, we were definitely edified then in the morning. Pastor Dave, Dave Chansky of uh, Trinity spoke on Romans 5, 12 through 21, the contrast and the comparison uh, between what Adam did and what Christ did. And, and that was encouraging because uh, Adam sinned and we all sinned. Adam brought death into the, into the world. There, n there's no way any of us will ever stop death. Uh, one of the old writers says, death has no rival. Uh, and, uh, and yet, when it talks about the work of Christ, that it brought life instead of death, and redemption instead, it, it says that abounded much more. And uh, that was very encouraging. It's, it's right there in the text, but that, that is very encouraging. Uh, in the evening, Pastor Gordon Cook from uh, Michigan uh, preached. Gordon and I were in the academy together. Uh, he preached on Romans 12, 9, uh, let love be uh, without hypocrisy. And he talked about what that love is and the major sin that contradicts this love is hypocrisy. Uh, one of his points was, know the enemy. And the enemy he took right from the Jesus' scathing rebuke about hypocrisy. Uh, if you want to cut short your way to love people, love the praise of men instead. Be critical of others. Uh, strain at gnats and swallow camels. Look at the beam that's in your brother's eye and forget the the moat that's in yours or the speck. Uh, uh, keep your heart from God like them and only honor God with your lips. That'll, that'll crush your love towards anybody else. And then he said, uh, don't be like them in thinking that you should be in the limelight because they looked for the best seats, they bragged in the market, and they stood up in the synagogue. And then his exhortation was, look to Christ. Christ always looked for opportunities uh, to demonstrate love. So that was the Lord's Day last week. On Monday, Pastor Chansky from uh, Trinity Baptist Church began two uh, messages from uh, John chapter 21, 15 to 17. Uh, the, at, the, at the beach there on the side of the lake, Jesus makes them breakfast, and then he begins to ask Peter, do you love me? It was really uh, uh, an amazing thing just to think about that again. Uh, but he gives these questions of comparison he talked about the emotional intensity. Just, just days before, Peter, convicted of his sin, went out and wept bitterly. And now, the third time Jesus asked him, it says Peter was grieved. He was grieved that he asked him the third time. So he brought that out. It was a time of emotional intensity. He said it was necessary to, to humble Peter. It was, it was soul work uh, in, in Peter's life. But he also commissioned him and gave him a task and he brings a he brings that profession back over and over again in a sense he makes peter say you know that i love you you know that i love you you know that i love you it was very encouraging the second session that we had was um was applications the applications took an entire session uh, the first one was love to christ is everything and he spoke about that 
Uh, sinning is painful, but God's discipline is out of love. Uh, he said it should teach us to deal with sin uh, gently and compassionately. It, it should also help us to remember that sometimes we have a difficulty working through sin and repentance. Have you ever done something and said, I'm sorry to somebody, but that sin seems still to follow you around? That was the idea. And Jesus is working with Peter was to eradicate all of that and say, you love me. I've got work for you to do. You have to tend my sheep and feed my lambs. You've got a commission. You've got something to do. So m move, m move ahead. Uh, the, there was another one that uh, uh, grace and forgiveness from God are real. Jesus just wasn't going through this, uh, uh, this thing to, to be exactly like the three times that, uh, that Peter betrayed. He was really giving him forgiveness, and, and that's how we should receive it. Christ really and truly can forgive us of sin. You, you think about it. If you heard somebody do it yourself... If you were in the workplace or you were someplace and, and somebody you know who is a professing Christian said, I swear to you, I don't know him. A little while later, you'd be taken aback. And somebody else says, you know, you, you're a Christian. And they raise their voice again and say, I swear, I don't know what you're talking about. What a, what a sin, but, but what forgiveness. Uh, also... Uh, also, uh, it, this is for all of us, really, God uses broken and restored vessels. Who of us would say, oh, I'm a, I'm a good vessel. God could really use me. I'm a good vessel. No, we're all broken and restored vessels. And then uh, love to Christ stimulates and energizes all our uh, service. So that was uh, those two sessions. Then we moved to Monday evening. Pastor Jeff Smith from Coconut Creek talked about false teachers uh, his bottom line was study the scriptures and hold fast because that's, uh, that was Timothy's commission. Uh, this is why I left you in Ephesus, that you can correct false teachers, right? It's not, uh, oh, I'm in the ministry now. This is going to be great. I always loved working with people. He says, no, first you got to deal with all the false teachers. And you remember in 1 Timothy, he says, they, they boldly proclaim stuff that they're ignorant about. And that's a hard person to deal with, isn't it? Somebody who really doesn't know the scripture, who's asserting all sorts of stuff. So that was very helpful, very practical. Then we move to uh, uh, Tuesday morning, the public ministry of Christ. Uh, and uh, Pastor uh, Carlson from Trinity took that. And he just talked about uh, Jesus being out there. Uh, he preached in the open air. He had personal conversations with people. He went to the synagogues. You remember the, the uh, studies in Mark. The, there's a number of them. I've got to go to the synagogue. I've got to go here. And he was in the synagogues everywhere. I've got to go here because I've got to preach the gospel in, in other places. So his application was see people as needy and valuable. Uh, not valuable in the sense of uh, the, the, the uh, you know, the tricky... Uh, uh, easy believism gospel says you're so valuable to God he wants you to be saved well it, it, it puts too high a value but uh, people are valuable if if I could gain the whole world and lose my own soul you know that's that's the value there's nothing more valuable than the soul uh, he said study the Bible carefully uh, uh, these parts 
uh, know the gospel thoroughly uh, and remember that God is sovereign in, in all these things. In all these things, you sit down by the side of a well, here comes this woman, he deals with her. He's at home at night, here comes Nicodemus, and he deals with him. Other times, he goes right, he goes right to it and goes right to the specific people. And uh, uh, above all, he said, valid, validate the gospel uh, with your life. Uh, so uh, Tuesday evening, uh, Coconut Creek, Jeff Smith uh, preached on uh, Jesus's prayer life. Uh, he talked about he was a man of prayer. He emptied himself. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 39. It says in the evening, he went away to pray. And he prayed all the way through into the morning so much that everybody was looking. Uh, Peter actually tell them, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. So uh, Jesus went out and uh, to pray. And then uh, Jesus said, we have to go and uh uh, and uh, oh so no he he prayed in the context of being very busy he prayed at times when there were there was a blessing uh, when he blesses God for the salvation he prayed throughout his ministry and uh, in the future the apostles prayed when they had to make decisions and and do things and then the next uh, Tuesday evening Tuesday evening at night Pastor Chansky preached on Isaiah 55 1 through 11 uh, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. What, what a great passage that was. Uh, the next morning, Wednesday morning, Pastor Smith preached Jesus as a preacher from the, same, from the same passage. So he prays, everybody's looking for him, and he says, we have to go and teach in other places. He says, that is why I came out. That is why I came out to, to preach. Uh, he gave us the uh, trivia question, may, if it, maybe it's not trivia, what was the name that people called Jesus the most, that, that people called him? And that was interesting. People was, Jesus was called teacher uh, more than anything else. He was addressed as uh, teacher. Uh, these, this was very humbling as, as well. Jesus's ministry was a, empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's anointing. And, and you just had to say to yourself, how do I get it? How do I be like him? How do I... How do I get the Spirit to be in my uh, speaking, in my ministry? He said that Jesus' uh, uh, ministry was Scripture-filled, and he expounded the Scripture. He just used the Gospel of Luke as an example and said, Luke so-and-so, he uses Daniel. Luke so-and-so, he quotes out of Deuteronomy. Luke so-and-so, he quotes out of Isaiah. Luke so-and-so, and, and uh, he and maybe... 10 or, 10 or 11, he, he said, and that's just in Luke. So you realize that Jesus knew the scripture, and that was the basis of, of how he explained things. Uh, he also said uh, Jesus used abundant illustrations. That, that was interesting because he just used the Sermon on the Mount, and he just went through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and now you got, you got wheats and tares and gates and uh, houses built on different foundations and different things that happen to different people and a father that gives a, a, a scorpion or a stone. I mean, it's just packed, just the, just the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then his uh, uh, preaching was always applicatory. He always, he always brought it to bear. Uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, he said, are you a ruler in Israel and you don't know what's going on? The woman at the well, you remember, he skipped a few pages and he said, uh, go and get your husband. And then she had to say, well, 
I don't have one. He says, you're right, you've had five, and the guy you're living with isn't the one, right? That's going right to application, isn't it? Well, his preaching was applicatory. One of the things that interested me once is when they asked, who do people say that I am? Some said Jeremiah, some said Elijah. And uh, Pastor Smith pointed out the difference between Jeremiah's preaching and Elijah's preaching was very, very different. Jeremiah was soft and tender and young and a weeping prophet and, and, uh, and Elijah was just bold and you're going to do this and I'll stand in Ahab's face and tell him, you're the troubler of Israel. And uh, uh, he, he brought that out as an interesting thing that how could uh, Jesus was m m misinterpreted, but uh, uh, he, he uh, was thought to be uh, both uh, people. Wednesday prayer meeting was very encouraging. Uh, a, a gentleman, Pastor Ronald Kalafungwa from the Lusaka Baptist Church in Zambia came and gave a report, and Gary and I were just overwhelmed. This church started and started a school and started pastoral training, and 21 churches were, were uh, founded from this, and then we branched out to here, and five or six, whatever it was, churches from there, and the, so we, uh, we were very interested in, in finding out more. We actually talked to him about how, we, how could we support and what, what do you need. And, and uh, there is a gentleman who has written a number of books, uh, Conrad Mbewe, M-B-E, M-B-E-W-E, something like that. Uh, there also in our little booklet was a, a prayer letter from Ho Jun. It's four pages. It's in the back uh, please read that. The, the, we, we are not wasting money sending uh, things to Hojun. If you read that, it is four pages of full content. He's not talking about, you know, my, my son had a birthday party and we did this. He, he has ministry after ministry and opportunity after opportunity. And uh, it was really encouraging to me. We, we did our research and we looked and we are not wasting a penny uh, sending it to that man for that ministry because it, it's just complete. And the Lord is, the Lord is using and you can see these little trickles of stuff going out. Maybe it's a, only a family here, an opportunity there, but the gospel is just going out all over the place. So that was very encouraging. And then our last two sessions were by Pastor Cain from Australia on Jesus as a servant from Philippians 2 and, uh, and, and John chapter 13, uh, uh, the disciples' uh, feet uh, being uh, uh, washed. Uh, so he said it's fundamental for us to serve and for Jesus to serve. Uh, Luke 22, 27, I think we looked at it at a prayer meeting. I am among you as one who serves. And he mentioned others. I didn't come uh, to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Uh, so he said the challenge to us is uh, serving is out of fashion. It was an interesting way to put it, isn't it? Serving is out of fashion because of culture, because of contemporary ministry. He said in contemporary ministry, people are looking to get a name for himself. They dress different. They act different. They want to have all this fanfare about them. And then he also said, in us is a carnal propensity not to serve, not to take the lowest spot. He, 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 mentioned, the, he mentioned the disciples, and there's another example, right? What? Jesus dealt with it a number of times. And what would you think? 
What would you think? Uh, I, I preach better than you, Gary, but I think you preach better than Russ. And Russ would say, no, no, I've been here the longest, and I've been through Hebrews and Romans. What are you guys talking about? Oh, no, but I did that. Could you imagine? And literally, in the upper room, that's what they were arguing about. The one mother comes and says, would you please let my son sit next to you? Can you imagine that? Okay, mom. But the question is, can we be baptized with the baptism that Jesus, what was his baptism? He served, he served, he served. He was up here and he made himself as a servant. Unto death and shame. Insults, somebody spit on his face, somebody smacked him in the face and said, tell me who it is. He could have told them their name, their address, or their, their phone number, uh, and how many hairs are on their head, but he took it. He took it because that's what he was supposed to do. It's a great calling that we have. We're ministers of Christ. It's a very high honor to be put in a place of service in the name of Christ. Because what am I supposed to do? demonstrate Christian service. I'm supposed to be like him, serve like him. And you're supposed to say, he serves like Christ. He's not thinking about, he did this better than that, or that guy and this guy and that guy. Uh, the, the, final one, uh, the final one concerned his moting, motive. So there was a challenge, the calling and the motive. Uh, John 13, it begins with, the hour has come. Jesus knowing that the hour had come. Other times in the gospel of John, it's a pattern. My hour has not yet come. He tells his brothers, my hour has not come, but your hour always is because you need to repent and believe. But it's not my hour for all the things to happen. But now he goes into that room and his hour has come. And uh, it was a beautiful picture that uh, Pastor Cain portrayed. He says as if, if John has left the door of that room open a little so that, that we could look in. So the challenge, the calling, and the motive, it was love. He loved them. And then he begins to uh, 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 plan to wash their feet. It was an evening of agony. It was a time of treachery. It, it, there was an air of rivalry in the disciples being rivaled with each other. Uh, and it was an act of... Uh, Humility. Uh, he pointed us to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, when the meetings are supposed to re-adjourn, uh, years and years ago, Pastor Frank Barker had a cowbell, literally a cowbell. And that's how you knew you had about three or four minutes to go to the bathroom and get back into the meeting. And every time, every break, and that's what he said. If you don't have love, you're as good as that bell. And you were just like, help me to be more than that bell because that bell was annoying after a while, right? And everybody teases, but that's it. This is it. Get back to your seats. So let's not be clanging bells. And the summary, and the summary Jesus says in John 13, 12 is, I left you an example. You call me... I think he says, teacher and Lord. And he says, that's what you should call me, for that's what I am. But I left you an example so that you should go and do exactly like I did. And here they're talking about who's the best. Uh, Pastor Cain brought it out even in the context with Judas. 
that, that Jesus washed all 24 feet, not 22. He knew everything. He knew who would betray him. The beginning text says that. He knew it. And he, he bowed there before Jesus with a towel and water and washed those feet. And a little while later, he said, what you do, uh, go and do it. Uh, uh, a, a message that really helped us to appreciate our Savior. Because he was in control then. The devil wasn't in control. Judas wasn't in control. The disciples weren't in control. Jesus knew it was the hour. And he, he did all of those things. So now, if you can, whoosh, over to Zechariah chapter 6. And we, um, I, I like to go over that because you can see, we, we, we weren't taught, right? What's the tower they call it, right? We weren't taught white tower, you know? We weren't taught all this high theological stuff, were we? They just put Christ in front of us. And that's what they did over and over and over again. Put Christ in front of us. And it was just, it was just a blessing. Because not all theology, it's not like, well, we don't have a, a members conference because they're down there and you guys are special. No, we, we are humbled and, and, and literally brought to the dust, I think, uh, over and over and over again, uh, because everybody's in the same. You meet people that are discouraged. You meet people that have been soul elders for years and years and years. You meet people that are struggling or wondering, my congregation keeps getting smaller. How come this guy's congregation is bigger and bigger? So it was a blessed time. The, the eighth and final vision and uh, this teacher of God's word is somewhat relieved that this is the last vision. Zechariah 6, verses 1 through 8. Then I lifted up my eyes again and saw, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, and the second chariot black horses, with the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them mighty. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white ones are going forth after them, and the dappled ones go forth to the south. The, the red horses don't go anywhere. Now the mighty ones went out, and they sought to go to patrol the earth, and he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have caused my spirit to have rest in the land of the north. So uh, what we see is a familiar pattern. Uh, he lifted up his eyes and Behold, there's emphasis, but there's also the pattern. Uh, and then here is the vision. First of all, there's four chariots coming between two bronze mountains. That's the, uh, what he sees. Uh, we could call this uh, a bracket vision. In the, the first vision, here comes horsemen. In the last vision, here come chariots. There is, uh, there is uh, some uh, uh, stark similarities, and, and we'll take a look at those.
And uh, the first vision was horsemen with horses of different colors. At that time, we didn't guess on the colors. Uh, this last vision is the same. Revelation has horses of colors too. Uh, the colors that we have uh, are uh, red and white and black and uh, dappled. Uh, in Revelation chapter six, red, white, uh, black, and uh, a different a different color. What what does our last one say? Oh, dappled. Yeah. So, uh, horse a different color. But uh, I still I still am not going to guess on if the colors really have a significance. And uh, that that's just an approach that I've tried to take. I really can't pinpoint it. And and the result. The result is the same in the reading of chapter 6. You recognize that. They patrolled the earth and there's, there's a, a peaceful situation. Uh, in our chapter it says that the spirit of God is at peace in the north. Back then they came back and they patrolled the earth and everything was peaceful. So the result is somehow the, the same. However, uh, this is an amplified vision because we go from horsemen to chariots. And there's a big difference. Dr. Phillips says the first vision we saw the light cavalry, which showed Yahweh's omniscience and sovereign omnipresence, right? They, they demonstrated that God could just tell this cavalry, these horsemen, go patrol the whole earth. It's his omniscience, his omnipresence, his God's searching eye. He knows. And the result is God can tell the people, I know exactly what's going on in the whole earth. Here... Philip says, chariots were the heavy cavalry, the, the shock troops, not unlike our modern uh, day tank units. Chariots went forth not to scout, uh, but to crush the power of the enemy. And there's multiple references to large numbers of chariots in, in various armies. So all throughout the Old Testament, it will say Israel was going to be in battle, and they were confronted by this guy who had 7,000 chariots. Uh, if you just look up chariots, you'll see there's numbers next to chariots uh, frequently. Uh, so here comes four, but they're coming from God. But they were, uh, they were this indomitable force back then. You could have all sorts of troops, uh, but uh, um, chariots, uh, that's the next level. Uh, it's also a familiar vision uh, or a, a, a vision we would understand because there's four of them. And four is like a, a perfect number, a whole number. In chapter 1, there's four horns and four craftsmen. In chapter 2, verse 6, something comes from the four winds of the sea. Uh, uh, and in Acts 10, uh, Peter's uh, uh, sheet is lifted down by the four corners. It, it's held by that. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect uh, uh, vision. There's four winds in Daniel, four creatures in uh, Ezekiel. There's four living creatures around the throne in Revelation 4, 5, and 6, and four angels in Revelation uh, 7, verse 1. And, and there's many other pictures. Uh, Revelation 20, uh, verse 8, uh, they came to deceive the nations which are in uh, the four corners of the earth. So it's uh, four is, uh, uh, it's a perfect number. It's a good number. Mr. Webb says the four chariots are representative of a much larger military force, one in fact that operates everywhere throughout the whole earth. So it's the picture of those horses that 
came back and were seen at first. Well, well, what are they? Oh, they're the horses that have been everywhere around. And here comes this uh, stronger uh, force. So the four is a number of symmetry and completeness, and I think we can state that with, uh, with more assurance than what the colors mean. Uh, but then comes the bronze mountain. So the four chariots come between two mountains, and they're completely bronze. Uh, uh, the mountains are, are, are around Jerusalem. You know, many references to a city set on a hill. Some people think, well, that's the picture that you, you had to go through a mountain range to get there. Or it's a picture of God coming out of Jerusalem, like out of the temple. To, those chariots are going to go out through the earth. Uh, but the, uh, the mountains were bronze. Bronze is a val valuable alloy in those days. Uh, broad, bronze added strength uh, to a weapon or shield. Symbolically, Jeremiah is told that he's bronze. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 18. And I, behold, I will make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls. That's what you're going to be to these people. And that's the picture. Strong. And bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings, etc. An interesting thing, and this is where I think this uh, comes from, is in Solomon's temple, 1 Kings 7, 15, and 16, he cast two pillars of bronze. 18 cubits was the height on the pillar, and a line of 12 cubits measured its uh, circumference. So these are huge. 18 cubits is 18 plus 9, 27 feet tall, and, uh, and uh, 12 cubits around. Right? 12 times 1.5, you could figure it out. Huge. Uh, and uh, the second pillar was the same, and bronze capitals were on top of the pillars also. Bronze, all everywhere. In the tabernacle, you could see in Exodus, if you, if you use a concordance, bronze, 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 bronze. It's everywhere. So this is not a new picture uh, uh, to them. First uh, uh, Kings 7:47, and Solomon left all the vessels unweighed because there were so many of them. The weight of the bronze was not ascertained. There was bronze everywhere. So having this be a picture of the temple, a picture of strength, a picture of God's presence is, is something that they would have uh, understood. The mountains, it's a little bit different, and we uh, we run into uh, uh, some. Uh, different things. Somebody says the mountains are God's hidden counsels and the chariots are what is revealed because he says the chariots are going to do this and here's what they're going to do and here's what they're going to find out. The second thing is it's the spiritual wall of protection that God has placed around his people and you understand that since all these wars are done they're protected. They can build the temple. They can build the Everything, I mean, Nehemiah, those guys ended up with the sword and the trowel, right? The sword in one hand card, kind of hard to work that way. <clears throat> so a spiritual wall of protection that God's placed uh, around uh, the people. Uh, third, that this is glorious imagery to depict something greater uh, than the original. And, uh, and here we, we would understand that God, th this is post-exilic. And God said in Haggai, I'm going to make the temple more glorious than it ever was. And uh, 
maybe this picture is just showing you. In the future, it's going to be like two mountains of bronze, just glorious. Uh, also, it could be a picture of strength and a reminder of God's work. Uh, the two pillars uh, in Solomon uh, were named. The one, the one picture was pillar was named Jachin, which means he establishes, and the other name was Boaz. In him is strength. So if they remembered that, if they remembered that, uh, Zechariah would say that's like the pillars. And one is God establishes, and the other says, in him is strength. That, that's a, a picture for a true Israelite. The pillars, Webb says, represented the stability and power of God's kingship. For the temple was his house, the supreme place of his rule in all the earth. And, and, that's, and that, I think, is a, a, a perceptive comment. Uh, he, he's just saying this. This is just a picture of power. This is just a picture of the, of the firmness and the steadfastness. And if you remember Haggai, that's what he's, that's what he's uh, telling them. Get back to building a temple. What are you doing? You're the ones who are saying, well, maybe it's not time. It's not time to build the temple yet. And what did they do? They got discouraged. And what kind of houses were they making sure they had? Oh, I got this nice paneling up. I got the nice paneling in my living room. And they forgot. Uh, but this is a, a, a demonstration. It represented the stability and the power of God's kingdom. For the temple was his house, the supreme place of his rule on earth. The most glorious thing. We've seen it in, in Mark. I read it in Matthew as part of my devotions recently. Jesus comes into the temple uh, uh, down the hill. Remember, Gary painted that beautifully right they come down the hill they're worshiping him and the, and the and the pharisees are like you got to stop this no the glory came into the temple that day the the praises of christ as the messiah and, and then he cleanses the temple again they say what well, who gave you this authority but but his glory came in there every time he went and taught and preached his glory was there and then he just slips away doesn't he It's clear temple and kingdom of God's significance. The chariots are going forth uh, from his uh, presence uh, to wage war. And uh, 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 chapter 2, 13, uh, in, uh, that might be Habakkuk, it says that God has roused himself from his holy uh, dwelling. I, I have a wrong... No, that's uh, Zechariah 2, 13. Be silent, all flesh, before Yahweh... For he is aroused from his holy habitation. It's a picture that we've looked at numerous times in the prophets. Uh, that God is beginning to work and stirring himself. Uh, in the vision, Yahweh's purposes and power uh, are revealed. Uh, Trapp says, as designed by God's all-disposing providence and power, and ready, pressed at his appointment and pleasure, to run their race. So, He's saying, look at these chariots. They're coming out, but they are not going to do anything that God hasn't told them that they can't do. It's a picture of him being in control of everything. It's to do their office to execute God's judgments, which are both unsearchable and inevitable. And uh, Hawker attaches it to the gospel and says, indeed, 
I do not hesitate to consider all monarchies and all empires together with their rise, progress, and fall as designed for no other purpose but to minister to the Church of Christ. And, and that is the goal. The temple would be established, but what's the next thing? We're post-exilic. What's the next thing? 400 years of silence, and then John the Baptist is the forerunner. And, and there's the passage in Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That, that's it. Here comes the final thing. And all, all the monarchies, all the things, what does Daniel do? Well, here's a kingdom, and then another one's going to come, and then another one's going to come, and another one's going to come. And here comes this little stone. Boof. What happens to the kingdoms? They're gone. He leads us through. There's no more Romans or, or Greeks. You can think of the Spanish Armada or the Spanish Empire. You can see the British Empire. Literally, at times they said you could, you could go throughout the whole earth and not step off British soil. Well, that's not true anymore. It's all designed to minister to the Church of Jesus Christ. The, the one... The one writer just blew my mind. He said, all the nations in history are but the scaffolding, the scaffolding for the church. And that's, what, that's part of what this message is about. God's purposes and God's plans. I'll tell you what I did. I sent these horses. They patrolled the earth, and it's exactly the way I planned it right now. Because now is the time to build the temple. Now is the time for this. And then the bracket vision, it's chariots. Well, I'll give you a picture of even stronger, right? The, the horses, they were just in like this lower, this dale in the woods, and there was myrtle trees, right? And the guys waxed eloquent, well, myrtle trees are this, and the, the little dale is that. It, it's a low spot, so that's how low the people were. I don't know about that. But I know if I saw horses in a dale and myrtle trees and chariots between two mountains of bronze, I get the picture. This picture is more stark than that picture. And that's what God's showing. These are powerful images displayed and powerful purposes of God are going forth. He is going to establish. It's in the text, the power of the chariots we'll look at next. All of them are strong. New King James, strong steeds. Legacy standard, all of them mighty. Zechariah's question, here he goes. You say, oh good, it's question time. I've got questions too. Uh, what are these, my Lord? And there's his, his humble, let me know, I'm seeing it, and I need to know what it is. And the angels answers, there are four spirits. The four spirits before the throne, the word can mean winds, but winds don't present themselves before God. And uh, one of the interesting things is that every version, except the ESV, says these are the four spirits of heaven. The ESV says these are going out to the four winds of heaven and, and doesn't use spirit and, and translates it different. But uh, be that as it may, we don't have time to try to explain that. But God sends out who he sends out. The picture of the fours. He makes his angel winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Hebrews 1.7. 
God sends them out to, to do his uh, purpose. Revelation 4, four living creatures. After this, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Uh, uh, four is always there. Uh, their origin uh, was that they were standing before the Lord of all the earth. They're in God's presence. And then their destinations. I'm going to finish this. We might run over a minute or two. I'm going to finish this. There's no, there's a half a page left. Uh, they're standing before the Lord of all the earth. So once again, it's a, a picture of these are sent directly from God's presence. The black horse goes north. The white horse also goes north. And the dappled goes to the south. And the red horse uh, doesn't go any place. If the red horse uh, stands for blood, it means there's no bloodshed. The red horse didn't go out to make war. It just stayed there because everything was at peace. They go to patrol the earth. There's a picture there where they're, where they're, where they're just ready to go. That's uh, 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 what happens. And they go out and they find God's spirit at rest in the north country. And most of the writers, like the, the original vision, say Babylon was already defeated. And Assyria was the one that said go. Right? Second year of Darius. Second year of Darius over and over again. Uh, so there's peace. Philip says this is not merely a narrow or specific prophecy regarding Babylon and Egypt, but rather this vision shows that we may regard as a fixed principle, here's the fixed principle, we'll end with this, that God punishes those who afflict his people and judges the enemies uh, of the church. Let's, let's close in prayer. Uh, we bless you, Lord, for these uh, visions. They are uh, uh, cryptic in some ways and very obvious in other ways, and even that summary has been uh, shown to us in our own lifetime and throughout the history of the world that you watch over the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.